On today's Say It Ain't So Sports, we cover the unfortunate, extremely unfortunate demise of the XFL, a league that, you know, we loved. I was a season ticket holder. Then we'll go over the Brandon Cooks to Houston trade, how that affects both parties involved, the Rams and the Texans. And then, you know, Howard Stern and had Tom Brady on his show. Over the week, there was a lot of good tidbits in the interview. We'll go over all of those. Um, and then we have Jameis One of One, you know, author Jameis One of One, recurring guest Jameis One of One. He's back on the show. He gives some great insight. He has, he has some insane, awesome takes that they'll get you. He explains what happened to Jameis in Tampa. And then we watched both the Hulu and Netflix Firefest documentary. We're going to review both and then compare them, which one we like more. Stay tuned. Just a week up. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, watch me rip this shit. Changed my words. I remember that. Chelsea just went off the deep end, bro. Fuck, fuck, uh, uh. Are we still recording? Yeah. Let's go. And we're back. Guys, uh, I have some unfortunate news to announce. You know, usually we like to start these pods up with the energy. You know, we're hyped up to give you content. But this is something, unfortunately, we have to talk about it because we're the number one sports podcast out there. But, you know, we don't want to talk about it. So the XFL, the report came out yesterday that they're firing all their employees. And that was a big big uh, question mark and then it came out a few hours later that the league is shutting down operations they're not expected to start again in 2021 i guess we'll start guys with what went wrong with the xfl what went wrong was just like that there was a pandemic that just like happened out of nowhere this league was on track to continue before before this whole like like quarantine for everybody. Everybody has to stay themselves. No work, like work stoppages. Like the league was on a an upward trajectory, I think, and they were on pace to have another year. It's just like that. This happened, and they had to cut their season short short for it. And then, and they couldn't make any money because their season was cut yeah. short. And now, yeah, there was a three year plan where they're prepared to lose money for up to three years. But it's hard to be losing money when at the same time having to pay these employees. One, the product isn't even on the field. The second that the league suspended operations, I'm sure we all thought they were in trouble because they don't have the money, they don't have the income that the NFL, the MLB, all these other big-time leagues have. And, um, you know, it's it's really sad to see. I guess I think this is confirmed out there because we gave a ton of great things that they could do for the league going forward. I thought Vince McMahon was listening to our pod, but I guess not because if he listened to – you know, Loftus' idea of putting them in the same hotel, they would not have canceled this league. 
they would have kept it going for 2021. Yeah, it just sucks. You know, when you come up with this billion-dollar idea and your voice just doesn't even get out there, it's really just disheartening. Yeah, Vince McMahon, it's reported they, um, he had his net worth went down a billion dollars with the XFL failure. So he lost over a billion dollars on this league. You know, we knew they had the money backed up. And one thing I think we have to clarify is this was not the fucking AAF. I don't want to hear Darren Ravel on fucking Twitter compare this to the AAF. Talk about how the AAF was better. Fuck you, Darren Ravel. You're wrong. Just, just what an awful take by Darren Ravel right there. The quality of the of the league in the AAF was just absolutely horrible. There's no there's no good quarterback play at all. At least you had even though there were cases like Matt Mag- like Matt McGloin and like um Cardell Jones at some point, right? You still like PJ Walker who was like becoming an emerging star in in the XFL and then signed a contract with the Panthers, right? Yeah. So you had actually a, a little bit of resemblance of quarterback play. You had a league that like looked like they were like they actually had, like a better quality on the field, right? Um the and the AAF also like they were just so poorly ran. They like didn't have any they didn't have like any money like when they started Three really. They needed a new investor. Yeah, yeah. As a season ticket holder, this hurts because Section 127 was a family. Those guys are my brothers. I was I was in the trenches with those guys cheering in the third row every single Saturday or Sunday, depending on which week it was. It really hurts to see the league go. It also sucks from just an economic standpoint. You know, all these jobs, now these people are let go. You know, with corona, obviously, the unemployment's high as it is, and it just sucks to see Rihanna Cooper, my ticket, my ticket lady. You know, now she's out of a job. It just sucks to see this league fail because we're football guys. America's a football country. You know, we love football. And to see two leagues fail back-to-back years when this league seemed like it had the qualities to succeed, it really is just disheartening to see. Yeah, it, it stings a lot more when, like, the XFL came a year after the AAF and they're like, oh, yeah, we're not going to disband like they did. And then after they didn't even finish the season, they disbanded. Yeah. It sucks. You know, they had ESPN. They had Fox. They had better production values, like they had better venues, I'd say, and it it all just didn't work out, unfortunately. It sucks, but it's, it's yeah, just hard it's to gonna, run a secondary league. It's going to suck like five, ten years down the line when people are going to be like, wow, Vince McMahon, what a fucking idiot trying to make the XFL work again. Of course it instantly failed. No one's going to talk about how the quarantine ended this league. It's just going to wow. be like a like just another failed football league. Like- yeah. yeah, people are going to act like it was a failure from day one, which is just simply not true. People love to see billionaires fail when this simply was just out of Vince McMahon's control. He did everything he could to make this league as good as it was. And I want to give the XFL credit here because this probably doomed them in the end. They gave me my money back for the games I missed. Like they, I know the MLB right now is not giving their money back for tickets purchased. And the XFL did that. They did the cordial thing. They definitely lost a ton on that. Um it sucks. My idiot friend, he renewed his season tickets for 2021, so him and go fuck yourself because he's not getting that money back. But to see the league care about their consumers like that, it was nice to see. And I agree, Loft, this should not be an indictment on this big man. And sadly, we know the way it's going to work. The blue check mark is going to be all over him, and he's not going to be able to you know, live another day without being reminded of this failure. Just hate to see it. Just hate to see this yeah. happen. No, they, they definitely don't have to make a, a 30 for 30 on the XFL falling again. I don't need to see that. It'll probably um, be included in the Corona 30 for 30 that will come out. Yeah, it would be a piece of it. But ESPN did back it, and they just, some, for some reason, just did, it fell short, even though it looked a lot better than the product of the AAF. And I really, like, 
the the COVID nineteen definitely just destroyed yeah, it. It sucks. It over. It they didn't have the money to pay employees without getting the gate revenue and TV revenue, and that was literally like Vince McMahon just dumping money. He probably ended up saving money in the end. If he tried to pay employees all the way through, it probably would have been a bigger shit show. And who knows how the league would have bounced back in year two with every player being on different rosters. P.J. Walker, the face of the league, out of the league. So, you know, he probably saw it as a way to cut costs now and stop the bleeding before it got out of control. But it sucks to see. Um, I know from a play standpoint, are there, are there any specific things you guys want the NFL to include that the XFL had? Uh, no, not a single I, one. I, I think that I think that everyone should be mic'd. Like I did enjoy that yeah. part. You can see that, and like the kickoffs were cool. And like I think what they have like three point plays or some shit. Like I like yeah, that too. So put yeah. a good start in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I doubt the NFL implements any of them, but it was definitely fun to watch, and like it was cool. So, yeah, so I think, I don't know, the kickoff was pretty cool in that league. The NFL kickoff right now is a, is a joke. Like, it's, it's the most dangerous thing. It's boring. It's just touchbacks every time. I like, I, you know, the rule that was really good was touchbacks with the 35 because then it incentivizes teams to return it, and that's just that's entertaining when teams are returning kicks out there instead of just commercial, you come back, you take a knee, commercial, like, that process gets annoying and wears down on you in the NFL. So, you know, we'll probably experiment with it a little. I don't know if they picked up anything from the AF, but I think they, like, incorporated some things. We'll see a ton of players get opportunities, which I guess is a positive takeaway that they otherwise wouldn't have. Like, P.J. Walker, would he be in the NFL right now if it weren't for his uh, Houston Roughnecks career? I'm not sure. So, like, there are some positive takeaways from this league, but it really just sucks to see it. Only go 20 games. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, so now we'll go to some NFL news. You know, the league that's still standing, even with all this. Um, Brandon Cooks was shipped off from the Rams as they continue to shed salary to Houston as Bill O'Brien was able to give up a second-round pick. So, you know, he traded DeAndre Hopkins for essentially Brandon Cooks and David Johnson at the end of the day. Didn't really any save any salary. So what do you what are your guys' thoughts when this move went down? I mean, you gotta feel good about this if you're Bill O'Brien. You know, you were able to get rid of another one for your picks and you were able to bring in another huge salary. I think you gotta be happy if you're him, you know. Clearly he's trying to get rid of all his assets and I think he's doing a good job. To defend Bill O'Brien a little bit, just a little bit, he didn't trade the pick that he got from Arizona. So they sold the fortieth pick. He traded the fifty seventh pick. Ah, Still not a good deal. Still not a good, still not a good trade, because Brandon Cooks, right? You you now have like you you have basically like a very similar receiver in Wolf or both speed receivers, right? Both like right. you just like got you just have both speed receivers. You don't really have any guys that like are going to be physical, like or any red zone targets like DeAndre Hopkins was. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins could do everything, but um, just it just doesn't really make sense from the Texans perspective, but also let's just talk about the the Ram side of this a little bit. Just what a disaster yeah. Brandon Cooks like. Can you go overall. more into the Texans side a little bit? Because Loft or you telling me that it was the fifty seventh pick and not the forty pick, that changes my mind completely. I'm all in on Bill O'Brien. He's a mastermind for pulling this off. Um no let's talk about this from the Rams perspective. Like yeah they did get a good a, a quality season out of Brandon Cooks um in twenty eighteen and 
they ended up going to the Super Bowl. But they gave up the, a first-round pick for him, right, when he was on the Patriots. So they traded a first-round pick for him, and then they um, they paid him. They gave him a five-year, $81 million deal right after trading for him, right? And then um, he has one good year, and then, like, a, a pretty injury riddled season, a down year for him, and then trade him. Now they have to take on all this dead money for Brandon Cooks when – um. Really, and they trade him for a second-round pick, right? So you got a second-round pick back when you traded him for a first-round pick and paid him, and now you still have to continue to pay him. Just a disaster from, like, just the overall, like, sense of just having Brandon Cooks from uh, from the Rams' perspective. And it just, like, just what what a, like, what a disaster for the Rams in general, just, like, how, how like, what it's been since Super Bowl 53 for them. I think uh, Brandon Cooks, he was due $16 million and half of that was already guaranteed. So, like, in the Texans' standpoint, they are getting a cheaper receiver. And Brandon Cooks at $8 million is probably, like, a bargain, I would say, compared to 16 which is definitely – he's probably worth around 8 to $12 uh, for his true value. So they're getting him at, like, decent market value. But the Rams, yeah, they're still paying $8 million in dead salary. They're, they're in cap hell, as we've been saying. They were our losers, one of our losers of the season because their window is shrinking with these terrible deals. They still haven't paid Todd Gurley, which is interesting, you know. We keep asking where all this money is coming to sign all these guys. Do they have the money to pay him? Like, Todd Gurley hasn't been getting paid. They had to trade Cooks. And that gives Goff, who aggressed last year, one less target to throw to after he got worse from the Super Bowl year. So, you know, it's it's tough going in L.A. Um, they still have some nice weapons there. Cooper Cup emerged last year. But you have to be at least a little concerned with, especially missing the playoffs last year, like, or like, can the Rams come back and they make the playoffs in 2021? Well, it's going to be tough, and that division's only getting stronger, you know, especially Arizona, the addition of Hopkins. So it's going to it's gonna be tough for them to make the playoffs this year. There is an extra playoff team, which obviously gives them better chances, but I, I don't know how they're going to be uh, much better than they were last year. And I'm also interested in what you guys think of, like, the addition of Brandon Cooks to – Houston, because he's a definitely a completely different receiver than DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, you can't replace a receiver with that level of talent, but he's a very similar skill set to Will Fuller, and they're both kind of vertical threats. And it's so, almost like I just said that. No, and yeah, but I'm asking everyone what they think of the like the scheme fit and the fit for uh, Sean Watson. Which- uh, obviously, it's going to be impossible to kind of fill that void of DeAndre Hopkins because he is if is one of the best, if not the best, receiver in the NFL, but. Um, I think I'm also this kind of correlates another thing. I don't think Deshaun Watson's going to be as praised next year because he doesn't have a number one receiver to throw to in DeAndre Hopkins. And, he, you know, Loftus put me on the Josh Allen train before the 2019 season. And uh, uh, people, I'm, I'm one of the detractors from Deshaun Watson. I think uh, this is going to be the year where he proves that he's not that good. He's not much of a deep threat. And you said um, Fuller and um, Cooks are deep threats. I don't think they're going to do much for him. And I think he's going to have a, a, a definitely a take a huge step back in losing Hopkins. Yeah, the Texans are not going to be that good. Yeah, this is going to be like the really uh, like bizarre chapter of Deshaun Watson's career. Uh, I, I don't see any way in which this like ends well with Bill O'Brien yeah. at this point. Uh, like this, I, I just predict this is going to be a like a step back season. Bill O'Brien's gone, and then they're going to yeah. have to you know get going on something. No, else. I see them going like like actually like like below five hundred. Like I don't know. See that they, they were the see- they were the worst good team in the league last year. Yeah. No, so uh, and I now definitely they don't think have the best receiver in the league. So fuck him. He's he's not that. He's so overrated. Give Josh Allen. Give Josh Allen fucking uh, Hopkins, dude. Jesus yeah. Christ. 
came in a match. We'll see. We'll see now that he is. I mean, Stefan Diggs isn't. Yeah, he's going to throw Hopkins, granted, but but now he's going to have now he's going to have a uh. Uh, a number one in digs, Josh Allen. But also, but John Har- Brown's numbers. John Brown's numbers are going to be good too because they, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, like um, preoccupation with fucking digs. But let's not talk about the Bills now. We're talking about the Texans. Yeah. Talking about the Texans, like like Loft mentioned, they were the worst good team last year. It seems yeah. like they're always that like that bad good team or like mm-hmm. or like the, the good bad team. Packers too. Like the Packers they're they're always that. like. They're always just like NFC, I mean AFC South champions. Like every year, it feels like they just like kind of win their division, get that Saturday wild card game, and then just like and then just like get uh, like destroyed. But they've won it like a few times, including last year. But like it just seems like they they never like actually like pull it together, even though they do have all this talent, right? They had, like probably that they had one of the most dominant players like, that the NFL has ever seen for three for that like four year stretch of JJ Watt. Right, and they could never find a quarterback that could like help lead that offense to any success. They've had they had DeAndre Hopkins for I think six or seven seasons, um, and they couldn't make it work with him. Like with, they never were able to like get. I mean, not never get, but they only got him like a a quality starting quarterback in like his last two to three years there. Right, and one of those quality. seasons, Sean Watson tore his ACL. So, quality, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. No, Deshaun Overrated. Watson's a quality starter. I don't care what you say. You can hate Deshaun Watson. He's a quality starter. He's a quality starter. I would, I would 100% take Deshaun Watson Bullshit. as a starting quarterback in the NFL. They were better with Matt Schaub, bro. They were better with Matt Schaub. All right, let's not go there. I, I wouldn't say that. Bull Brian's just like a moron, and it just doesn't surprise me he's a former Penn State guy. He's just yeah. he's fired. He's gonna be on the hot seat after this. It's crazy year. though that he's in Belichick's tree and he's and he's doing this yeah. poorly. Yeah, former Penn State guy. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Penn State. Penn State does. It, 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 I mean, it is a talent factory. <laughs> He'll be I on mean, the top thing. Is he made Hackenberg work. Oh, yeah. Penn, right. Penn State does groom a lot of talent. What I was gonna say is, um, they're they're that team that was always winning those close games down the stretch last year, and you can't do that every year. And this year with less talent, I don't see how they do that. But yeah, Penn State does groom a lot of young talent. Done that for a while now. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. They have good. I've heard they have good uh, shower facilities and stuff. Uh, nice that keep those kids clean. Yeah, but I heard they a lot of shit. Don't play nice dirty, that's for sure. They, they run a tight ship. <laughs> it gets you in and out. Joe there. Pod, Joe Pod, those kids in line. Yeah, lined <laughs> right up. Lined right up in the shower. They run a really the, Sandusky used to run a really tight train. Yeah, elite, elite yeah, he used to run a lot of trains. You know, they were a locomotive; they just wouldn't stop. <laughs> I have no comment on this. Uh oh. So overall, do you guys see this addition being a positive for Houston because they are the one getting the player in return? Well, no, they're getting no, 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 no. They're getting like a they're getting like a like a like a decent receiver and like so, so above average receiver and like a washed up running back. For like the qu- one of the, the best receivers of all time, probably. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say of all time, but certainly in the game today. Um, uh, but, he, no, he's definitely going to be better. talent-wise. He's probably fucking. He could better. be. No, I'm not saying that he won't. I'm just saying probably right better now. Better than Jerry Rice, fucking talent-wise, dude. Jerry Rice, one of the guys. He's fucking good, dude. He he just he's a fucking playmaker. You can never account for Hopkins, dude. Like he's just so I'm good. Not, I'm not saying that. He's Hopkins one of the best of all time good. already. Already. <laughs> all right. But talking about like Brandon Cooks, um, just just li- like it's interesting because Brandon Cooks has had like such a 
like an injury riddled career so far. He's had like he's had a bunch of he's had I think five known concussions since entering the NFL. Right? Yeah, he's one away from being dumb. Exactly. It reminds me a lot he reminds me a lot of like Wes Welker towards the end, like in terms of concussions. Like, well, like that's Wes five Welker. known concussions. That's yeah, he's that. five known, and that means he probably has at least five that aren't known, right? Um, and just like looking at it, like it's it's gonna be interesting like to see like if he can stay on the field, right? If like if you can stay on the field, then I think maybe it could potentially work like a little bit, but it's still not gonna be even close to what DeAndre Hawkins could do production wise. And also it brings a question like, is Will Fuller now like now like is Will Fuller gonna be the true number one? For this team, or is it? Or are they gonna like? Because right, now, this seems like they they really they it contradicts like what they uh, what I would have thought after the DeAndre Hawkins trade is just that they really believe in Will Fuller, but now it's like now they go and get another receiver receiver uh, in Brandon Cooks. Yeah. But also, this draft class has a ton of talent at the receiver position. It's unprecedented to have a draft class with this much talent at, at the position. So it's just interesting that they would give up a second-round pick for a guy that's going to be expensive when they could have picked a guy that's that's younger, that's pro, that's potentially healthier, and is definitely going to be on a cheaper deal than Brandon Cooks. So. Also, just Cooks, like, he's just been all around the world in the NFL. I think this is, what, like his fifth trade or fourth or something like that. Like, he was, he was also in two straight Super Bowls with the Patriots, then the Rams lose yeah. twice. I, and I think he got, like, taken out in, like, yeah, yeah, like Malcolm Jenkins, like, he killed him. Killed. Yeah, he's had a weird career. He's, like, been all, all around the world. It's kind of, he like, he's played for some great quarterbacks. He's kind of he got fucking decapitated. Yeah. It was insane. He yeah, like he, like, he was like Jenkins, running like, one way, then made like a cutback, but then didn't look. And then Malcolm right. Jenkins just like took his head off. It was insane. Yeah. Okay. So what I was, like with Bill O'Brien, I think the reason they're trading all these picks is they have like no GM right now. Like and uh, Bill O'Brien's a Belichick guy. They're they're really uh, like people from the Belichick like tree are really likely to like trade their picks for established NFL players because they're not too big. It's like the college scouting department all the time. And especially not with Bill O'Brien, because he doesn't even have a GM right now. So he's not going to be able to find some gem in the second round at receiver, even though it is like an extremely deep class and you think someone would be a no-brainer. He probably doesn't have confidence he's going to pick the right one. So he's going to pick a guy he knows can produce if healthy. And the, thing, with, the thing that I just don't understand from his perspective is the number, obviously him and DeAndre Hopkins, it's been reported, didn't get along great. But the number one reason he said he traded him was to shed salary, right? DeAndre Hopkins wanted a new deal. But in in trading DeAndre Hopkins and taking on David Johnson, plus overpaying for Randall Cobb and then getting Brandon Cooks, do they even save any salary at all? Like, I don't think they, they, they there's no way they save significant amount of salary by bringing in Cooks, Randall Cobb on a terrible deal and David Johnson on a terrible deal. Yeah, it's just Bill O'Brien. Just, he's, uh, he's had an interesting offseason so far. Just, just such a shame for, for the Texans. What if Texans he knows something we there. don't? What if Brandon Cooks is just like a monster next year? David Johnson runs for like thirteen hundred yards next year. Well, that's how. Well, that's how coaches think. He definitely thinks he can replace the Hopkins production with the combination of Cooks and Cobb. Yeah, which I don't know if you can. Yeah, but like, like they've never been like a like a running team. You know, I mean, they no. It's more like it's more like uh, Deshaun Watson scrambles around like those shitty check down to Hopkins. Figure it out. Yeah. It's more like Deshaun Watson can't make a good read than like Hopkins bails him out. You know, what I mean, like every time. Mm. Well, I also think looking at him, like after they got they got like 
the Chiefs just like exploded on them in the uh, in the playoff game. I think they're probably thinking like we need a bunch of vertical guys in a similar way the Chiefs have, and now they're trying to get their own version of like Hill, Hardman, that's Watkins. Like me that, yeah. That's yeah. So they're just bringing a lot of like vertical guys because Hopkins, you know, while he is a great receiver, he's more of like an intermediate threat, and they don't want to have those like uh, short developing routes anymore. I think they want to like play to ha- to Watson's strength, have him run around a little bit more and just gun it deep. Yeah. So and that's what Will Fuller does perfectly for him. Yeah. And, and also, David Johnson is like, he's like a buffed up Damian Williams when healthy. He can catch the ball really well. He's a great runner amazing. from like the shotgun. He's an amazing so, catching running back. Yeah, so he could do a lot of those things. What I was going to say is like, what a shame that uh, Nick, when the Texans tried to hire Nick Casario, it got blocked. <laughs> because none, I don't think any of this happens with the with Nick Casario like as, as a GM. Oh, but. Okay, so we'll move on to the over the week. I think it was Thursday. Brady went on the Howard Stern show, and he gave a lot of interesting tidbits, a ton of stories. And so we're going to go over that. And the number one thing, I think, Tom Brady, Alpha, you know, we love him. But he, he said that, are we out on him now that it's reported he smoked marijuana in high school? I mean, this is ridiculous here. Um, that's just, what, what a terrible take by uh, Greggy right there. Um, <laughs> He's from San Mateo, California. California kid. You don't think he was boofing, boofing that stanky pack back in the day? He was, he was ganking that shit, bro. Oh yeah. You he know Tom Brady it, like was on the beach like with his with his like lettuce and his surfboard, just like ganking weed on the beach. <laughs> if anything, it makes Tom more of like relatable because like everyone thinks of Tom as like a robot who like yeah. only ingests like quinoa and fucking like yeah. kale. But you know, we know back in the day, Tom Tom is like a was like a normal kid, just like us back in the day, ganking ganja, playing sports. You know, I I think it was I think it was very interesting. I think this interview in general, like, well, part of that, but part of like the bigger interview. I think this is you know Brady's leaving that what he views like a restrictive place in New England. He wants to kind of like spread his wings a bit, and uh and like show people like his human qualities. You know, become yeah, one of those guys. Because no, even in, like New England, it was always something like off about Brady. You're like, this doesn't seem genuine, and he wants to make it seem like this is genuine, like everything he does. Yeah, and maybe, and from Brady's point of view, he probably thinks people don't think think he's like somewhat disingenuous because of the restrictions put on him by the New England like system. And so now he's going to go somewhere where like on the field he's going to be free, but also he's going to be able to really do and say whatever he wants to. Yeah, Brady's going to like pull up to like like Tampa Bay like first game in like a fucking Lamborghini with like with like some Kodak playing it's gonna be insane dude like win or lose ran, still ran a tight ship over there in New England like Brady Brady like I feel like has like definitely has like an eccentric personality like and he probably definitely hasn't been able to show it as much as he could yeah so, before you go great it's he definitely has some sort of an eccentric personality because no one could be that good for that long and just be like completely yeah. like an average guy up there he definitely has some qualities that we don't know about yet and i think yeah. maybe we'll find he's out gonna throw up, he's gonna throw up in like a in like the drop top whiz up to like to like to like the stadium with like some kodak plan and like he's gonna like call like a reporter like a jit or something you know what i mean so like i've been cool and jit uh, Loft, to what you were saying earlier about how like he's trying to seem more relatable. In 20 years in that Patriot system, the Patriot way, I don't think he ever gave an interview as interesting or cultivating as this. And once he leaves, you know, he empties the tank out. He tells us all these different stories. He gives us so much insight. And yeah, I think it's him trying to be more relatable because, as you were saying, like people see him as a robot. You know, 20 years in the league, he's still producing at a high level. He's still winning. And we've never seen that before in, in any position in the NFL. And he's kind of defining the mold and, you know, six rings, greatest of all time. So he is trying to seem more relatable. You know, Tampa Bay, like, let's go. He's he's there. He's in Tampa. Like I, yeah, like, I feel like, yeah, like, in New England, what if he did, like, 
He would never do like fucking like Tom Burrow or something like for Foxborough. Like no way Belichick's letting that slide. Like, like, like even though Tom like ran that team and stuff, I feel like Belichick never would let him allow him to be like the personality of the team. Like, because yeah. like, obviously it's a, it was like New England was like a unit. Like you never like like when you think of New England, you don't think of like crazy personalities ever. Like they just they're, all the guys are in line. And like I think it's gonna be very interesting to see Tom Brady in a completely new element in um Tampa Bay. Like in the in the sunny state, sunshine state, just living it up drinking margaritas and shit it's gonna be crazy yeah i think for a lot of his new england career he was kind of conforming to the system whereas but like we view that as like oh the team's like brady because a lot of times when a team has a franchise quarterback that's kind of the identity of the team and the team all like sort of become like the quarterback but maybe that's not maybe that's not what was happening everyone's just becoming like belichick and now brady wants to go and like be his own guy in tampa and like I think this is kind of like a legacy play. He wants to be like a he wants to be a relevant figure when it, when he retires. And if he doesn't like display any qualities that people are actually attached to besides his ability to throw the ball, how big is TB12 going to get? You know. I think I think he's this is this is a this is definitely it was definitely a bigger picture move going on in Tampa besides like football. He's definitely going to try. Like, he's definitely going to like go there, like do some like crazy like publicity stunts, and then like try and make his way into like media or something like that post post career. Because Tom Brady thing, definitely would be like a great like, sportscaster. One thing has, I said, I think Brady's too big for, to be a sportscaster. Yeah, that's true. I think he's gonna, be, he's gonna be looking. Big. He's gonna be an owner or something. Yeah, yeah. with TB12, he's gonna want to push that on like a team or something like that. That yeah. brand. But you see, but we've seen that. we've seen flashes of Brady's like personality. Where like he like like the way he acts and stuff like his social media. You kind of see like like yeah. little flashes of like him being like kind of like you know funny and stuff like that. Like with weird posts and stuff. So I think it's gonna be like I think he's just gonna have like. He's gonna be eating on social media when he's in Tampa. I think he's gonna he's gonna it's gonna go once his Rona shit's over. He's gonna he's gonna go off. He's gonna be running the internet. Another thing that happened in the interview, uh, he said that before this 2019 season, he knew it was his last in Tampa, and I kind of thought that all along. In, you know, in New yeah, England, you mean, right? In New England, yeah, in New England before going to Tampa, he knew that this would be his last season in Foxborough. And I think when you look, you know, we looked at the breadcrumbs. You know, he sells his house, he takes his kids out of school there, and we still were kind of like holding on hope or. T- guess somewhat like of a thought like no way he's not gonna leave and this happened a lot now lebron did the same thing very similar to lebron cleveland and then everyone's like doesn't matter he's gonna stay whatever he's he goes to la and i think now when we look at that with some of these great players you know when the breadcrumbs are there he's got to take them and it also shows a lot to maybe brady's performance this year if he knew it was his last and uh you know he knew like the team wasn't ready to win that year too many like young uh receivers and stuff like that yeah he He also yeah, he also mentioned that like he he was having trouble like uh, playing with the young receivers, Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers, and said like if a receiver he entrusted in the game, he just wasn't gonna look their way. Tell Bill he's not. I'm not even looking at him. Yeah, and that so that's an interesting part of their dynamic uh, that I don't think we ever heard. We always saw like Brady just ran the system. I mean, yeah, I mean throughout this whole year, the way he's the way he structured his contract, he can't be franchise tagged. His option was declined. It, like the tea leaves, you could read them. He was out the door. Uh, something else in the interview is Brady talked about not caring at all about legacy. I want to know if you guys thought, like, do you believe that he truly doesn't care? Or do you think that was just kind of bullshit? That's absolute bullshit. <laughs> that yeah, Brady, is such Brady, bullshit. Brady's just trying to see more like, like, just like kind of like more down to earth there. Cause obviously he wants his legacy to be like, he knows he's the best. Like he just knows it. And he wants his legacy to be that, like that. I was like, I went against all, all the odds and became like the best fucking quarterback ever. So no way he doesn't give a fuck about his legacy. Because I, I even, like, we care about our own legacy, like normal people. Like, everyone cares about how they're going to be remembered. 
maybe that's the mistake. Maybe, you know, you throw all that out the window and you just produce the best you can. And then you, you, well, you that, become Brady. Producing the best you can correlates to your legacy being, being the best. I don't think I don't think Brady if Brady does actually mean that I don't think he's performing his best because he, that's how he wants people to look back on him he's more intrinsically motivated than that but I would yeah. also say maybe he doesn't care about his legacy at this point because he knows it's cemented that's definitely that possible well, I mean it already cemented Tom Brady Tom could like come out and vote that like that like he like I don't know come out and like and like say some like horrible things and he'd like still be the goat you know do you guys really think his legacy cemented I mean obviously the six rings but. There's amount of people that say Belichick made him. He's a system quarterback. Oh, look, they went 16 and four or whatever without Brady. Like, I don't know. He says he still has stuff to prove, and there are still at this point, for some whatever reason, a ton of doubters. Okay, when Tom Brady goes 11 for 11 in overtime in the Super Bowl, like I'm, I'm pretty fucking convinced he, he's pretty good. Pretty also, also, I want to talk about that that 11 and five team when Matt Castle won 11 we games. We not just that. They went 16-0 and the year before. So that's a five-win drop-off. If they have any other record the year before and then they lose five more games in that, usually that means that they're missing the playoffs. It's just that they had the best regular season team of all time the year before. And I'm not, we're, yeah. like, I'm not like, saying almost, that. I was just saying a ton of people will point no, to No, I know. I know. I'm just yeah. saying why that argument is just not valid. They – they won 11 and hey, 5. Matt Castle also is a quality quarterback, right? Let's, let's, let's relax. Let's right? not go. Let's I, I personally – I think that you could have a great coach, Cowboy, right? a great quarterback at the same time, and they could just coincide and be really good, and that's why – that's what makes a dynasty. And, like, uh, Belichick, like, did not coach that Super Bowl 53 victory. That was all Brady and the players out there when they were down 25 – like, 28-3 over. So, it, it goes to both great coach and great playing. I don't think you could just give one credit and then devalue the other. So, I think that's a little – I think people just don't like Brady when they say that. Yeah, and also you could look at Belichick's record before he got Brady. He has a losing record before Brady gets there, and ever since then it's been to the moon. But I'm not yeah. going to say that and discredit Belichick. Obviously, Belichick was a huge part of it. Yeah, but they and also we'll see how both good. of them go here. But and Brady could be an absolute flop in Tampa for two years, and he's still the goat. Like it is what it is at this point. Yeah, you can't argue with what he's done. I'm fascinated to see how the Patriots like respond. Like if they throw out Jared Stidham and they go 11 and five, like. What do people say then? You know what I mean? Yeah, it'll definitely be a heavier part of the conversation. But I think it will, a lot of it would be like they found their guy, Stidham. And also, because um, like the Patriots definitely thought they had their guy before with Garoppolo. Yeah. And probably I mean, I would, to like a, a smaller extent per set. They thought they found like two starting quarterbacks. And they, they did, did, really. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe they think they hit again. But they've also missed on some guys they drafted to be a successor. Ryan Mallett. But they, but they were never talking about Mallet the way they were Stidham. And uh, if they're actually going to roll with Stidham this year, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. They, they also dropped the Jay, Jake Locker, too, from Arkansas, I believe. Like that was, they, they dropped a lot of quarterbacks over the time. And, that was, that was Ryan Mallet, not Jake Locker. Was he, was he dropped? In, Jake Locker was on Tennessee. Yeah, Jake oh, Locker was like a Tennessee uh, quarterback. That's <laughs> all right. No, but we know who you're talking about. We know who you're talking about. Just I have, yeah, you anyways. <laughs> we were talking about Matt Castle earlier. I have a quote from something Brady said in the interview about Matt Castle. So he said, the guy who was my backup quarterback at the time, Matt Castle, drew pictures of me with this one huge testicle on one side, and then he would leave them in my locker every day. What are what are, what do you think of Matt Castle after hearing that? So if you, if you, I think you should just check his Wikipedia page. It's just guys being dudes. Uh, Brady had a hernia. And yeah, no, it was like the size of a baseball. Yeah, you know, he drew some pictures. That's what it is. Every day, just, guys, just check his uh, just check his Wikipedia. You know, he he's the greatest reverse cowgirl player of all time. Uh, drafted at <laughs> he Pitt is seven, He is seven feet tall and six hundred pounds. 
<laughs> and, you, know, uh, you know what's pretty crazy? People people forget. People forget about since I'm just kind of like um, drawing back a little bit. But like what about Brady's legacy and all that? Uh, Drew, Drew Bledsoe just does not get nearly enough credit as he should. Definitely definitely helped Tom. Drew Bledsoe was a very the Jets, good. Like, the Jets knocked Bledsoe out. Yep, dude. Yeah. But, uh, Bledsoe Bledsoe was like really good when he was in the league. Like in the AFC Championship game. In the first Super Bowl run, they actually benched Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe like through the the game winning touchdown pass to to go to yeah, Super Bowl we'll thirty uh, thirty six, I think. Yeah, and if you yeah. ask Brady, he'd be the first guy to tell you that having Bledsoe with him was a huge part of his success. And I think, yeah. but I think this is like a weird spot for Stidham now talking about that he only was under Brady for one year and he only has Hoyer with him now. It's going to, like, whatever happens on the field, it's going to be weird having a second-year quarterback trying to, like, run this veteran team in New England. Well, this is also, you know, this is similar to, like, when when uh, when, when Romo was with the Cowboys, like, helping Dak out, and Dak had, like, a monster first year in the NFL, and then Romo was gone, and then Dak didn't perform as well. Like, if, if say, if Brady, if Stidham started this year and Brady was, like, a backup helping him out, like, yeah, I could see Stidham, like, being insane, but, like, I don't – I don't know. Like I, just, I, just, I remember watching him play in preseason. He looked pretty ass, but you never know. He's, he's Obviously, uh, they 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 must see something. And I've also like I've, I've heard a bunch of stuff about like, in New England. They're like, we have to do too much to build around Brady at this point for us to win. We have to have like all these great veteran receivers. And the line has to block perfectly because he can't move. And they think at this point, like with the how the rules are in the NFL, you need a guy that can move. And maybe they think, like, it doesn't matter if Stidham's not as accurate as Brady or whatever. He's going to open up so much more stuff for the offense with all these young athletic receivers just being able to move around. Yeah, Brady Brady was looking like, like was flopping around in the pocket when, like, his O-line couldn't block. Okay, uh, the part that I want, that I thought was interesting is that Brady said he does want his kids to play football. And we see, like, Brett Favre said he wouldn't let his kids play football. Bo Jackson said he wouldn't let his kids play football. So I think it was Soft. nice to see, like, that humility, like, that he'd be open to letting his kids play because we see a lot of stars that are like wary of the effects, and he's he's dealt with the effects more than anyone. You know, the amount of Giselle members she said oh, he had like hundred hundred unreported concussions, but you know, after all that, he's still willing to let his kids play. So I think that I think that's a positive for the game of football. Yeah, it strapping is. them up changes you. Strapping it them is. up makes you change. You. It is pretty interesting. You know, Giselle had all those uh, like talking points about how many concussions he had and how she wants him to retire and all that. Mm. Uh, obviously, Brett Favre, you know, was physically broken at the end of his career from playing. Bojax had like a horrific injury that ended his baseball career pretty much as well. And so, like, I, I would, I, of course, I'm not shocked that they would say they wouldn't want their kids playing. But with with Brady, you know, like he's built everything on football, and it'd be really all interesting to see. Like, it'd be sick to see like a, a fucking Brady's kid playing in the NFL. I mean, I think his brand is TB12. Like, to not let his kids play football when that's your brand, that would just, I feel like that's, that's two songs. contradicting right. yourself. What if Brady's, what if one of Brady's kids, like, is the number one pick and he's just fucking terrible? Uh, what if he just, like, lights you, it up? He goes to, like, Alabama and, like, lights it up. Uh, you got to watch out for Arch Manning. Like, Eli and Peyton's, like, no. Uh, oh, no, Arch Manning awesome. is going to be watch out. filthy. That guy's dude. elite. He's filthy. He was like he's the like, freshman he's like six two, year. like 170 pounds. And he's like throwing missiles out there. He's, he's, playing, at, he's playing at Newman right now. The same high school as Peyton, Eli, and Odell. And Cooper. That guy's going to be elite. Yeah, and Cooper. It's going to be awesome when he's playing for like some sick SEC team in like three years. Nah, he's, he's definitely going to Ole Miss. Miss. So like, yeah, he's going to be some. Yeah, it's going to be Cooper sick. went to Ole Miss, and Eli went there, and so did um, Archie. That guy's. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch when he's in the league. No. <sighs> 
Um, one more note I have from the interview is that Brady said that he doesn't lift weights. Like, he just he cut them out of his routine. Like, yeah, that's yeah. all news, though. Yeah, every, yeah every, I, he talked about watched, that in a Tom versus Time. I watched his, like, TB12. Like, I watched, like, a video of, like, a TB12, like, workout. They're just doing a lot of weight movements with bands. Uh, and, yeah, I'm not shocked that Brady at this age isn't, like, doing, like, heavy deadlifts. Can we, can we announce the, um, the TB12 uh, thing in the works? With no. No? Okay. We won't announce that. Um, so is that is that all for the interview? One more yeah, thing. I mean, Brady said uh Brady said he's like uh he didn't say anything about like uh dick size in the locker room. That that <laughs> just doesn't seem right to me. He he, he uh th- he definitely knows. Oh yeah. Like he notices true. for sure, no doubt about it. Well what do you mean? <laughs> he's like asking him about like Gronk sticks. <laughs> Dude, Gronk definitely got a hammer, dude. No way. No doubt about it. That's that's pretty much. No doubt about it. Gronk's got a third leg, dude. No doubt about it. Dragon. It was one like concluding thought. Just this been this is like a great interview to see Brady like in a new element, just like totally being like just being like it's almost like I was just like talking to Brady. It's almost like felt like I was in the room like shooting the shit with Tom. Like it's just very conversational. Like Brady, because you know, like Belichick, whenever he does like the press conferences, he like never says anything. He's, he's just like, we gotta play better. Yeah, I'm Cincinnati. Like Brady just gets out there, he's like, we gotta play better. And then, like, yeah. And then, but now Tom's in like in Tampa, like in Florida, like the scam, nice like, weather, the scam, like degenerate, the degenerate capital of the world. Like Brady's gonna be going off. He's gonna be going off. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait for this. Like this last chapter of Brady's career, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be insane. I can't Shit, wait. No, I think he's gonna like win everyone over now. Like everyone's gonna love him now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you know, speaking of the Bucks, now we'll have after the break, Jameis one of one, author Jameis one of one, to give his take on you know everything that went wrong in Tampa with Jameis Winston, recurring guest author Jameis one of one. It's an electric interview. He gives some insane, awesome takes, and you guys will like that. So we are uh, welcoming on recurring guest, author Jameis One of One. Uh, brother, how you doing today? Real good. Real good. I'm glad to be on again. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. You gave us some great insight last time on Jameis, but a lot has changed since then. I guess we'll start with, you know, we'll start, we'll rip the bandaid off. What went wrong for Jameis in Tampa? Well, I mean, sounds great. Yeah. Uh, you know, Arians got suspended towards the end of the year to devalue Jameis in an attempt that if Brady didn't sign with them, that he could get Jameis back, you know, as deep as possible, which I understand. I mean, that's, that's the way the game is played. Um, you know, but when the agency hit, Jameis remained loyal to the very end, even to his detriment. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they probably wished he would have, he kind of would have went diva, he kind of would have went me first. Um, but that's not who he is. He, he stayed loyal to the team to the very end. And, um, you know, I mean, they, they went with Brady. I can't, I can't blame, I can't blame the Glazers at all for one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have nothing negative to say about the Glazers. They made a very, you know, shrewd financial decision. I mean, Tom Brady brings a massive revenue boost to Tampa. And, you know, the two teams that were in on Brady, the Chargers and the Bucks, they need a revenue boost. I mean, those are two teams sort of with, you know, bad fan bases, and um, and Brady solves that issue. I mean, you know, they jacked the, the ticket prices up, I think, 15% immediately wow. once Brady signed. So the Glazers, you know, they made a, they made a smart financial decision. Um, so, you know, I, I have nothing really negative to say about them. You know, and as far as Arians uh, devaluing Jameis, you know, it, yeah. it did make sense. 
you know, the way the game is played, but it is what it is. Yeah, so we'll get into Arians in a second because I'm interested in your thoughts on how he handled the situation. But first, you know, you were saying you think Jameis overall handled, like, you know, he was the guy there. He was their franchise quarterback. You think he handled his abrupt departure well? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he's, he's never said a negative word about anybody in Tampa. Um, you know, the other day he, he clapped back at, at uh, David yeah, Carr. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he clapped back at Carr, yeah. but even that, you know, Jameis has been treated like garbage by the media since day one. He's never clapped back. And that clap back the other night, it was really because Carr attacked his trainer. Carr right. didn't attack Jameis. Carr attacked the trainer and the trainee's, the trainer's methods. And, uh, you know, Jameis wasn't going to have that. So Jameis is just an extremely loyal young man. And um, he stayed loyal to the Bucks, and he, he stays loyal to his trainer. And um, I mean, I'm glad he, he, did, he said what he said on, yeah. uh, on Twitter. Who's, but, yeah, who's um, David Carr to call him out? Like, what did you do in this league? Um, and then something that I think a lot of people, you know, this is the main reason we're having you on because it seems like all these teams we've been saying on the podcast that we thought he should stay in Tampa because it would give him the best chance to start. And now it looks like, you know, with the QB carousel, he's left out without a team to start on next year. It seems like the league has given up on him as a starter for now. We certainly haven't. We want you, you know, tell us why we should still trust Jameis as a franchise quarterback, as a starting quarterback in this league going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think the, the league has given up. Um, contracts mm-hmm. go through waves. So, you know, Jameis could have had a job immediately had he not waited on Tampa, had he not remained loyal and said, I'll wait to see what Brady does. You know, he could have already had a job. He was told that by multiple teams. Yeah. So, you know, that that's issue number one. Issue number two, like I said, contracts go two ways. So because he isn't signed doesn't mean that there, are, there aren't teams that want him. It, it means that the money doesn't work. Um, you know, you look at, say, like a Craig Kimbrell in, uh, in Major League Baseball. You know, coming off an all-star season, he waited till after the draft to sign, I think, deep into June, yeah. you know, before he signed. Mm-hmm. So from Jameis' perspective, I would think that he would, uh, he would want to wait till after the draft. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense to sign with a team now if you don't know what's happening in the draft. Right. Um, you know, I know the Jaguars are out there. You know, some people think that's a that's an obvious spot because he would he would easily just walk in and and uh, be the QB one. But it's possible they're tanking. I mean, it, it's possible that they're for Trevor. They're just they're just going to tank the, the season for Trevor Lawrence, and that's not really a position I would think anybody would want to walk into. I mean, yes, you can start right away. Yes, you can probably put up forty five hundred yards. Um, you know, but I mean, if, if they're going to go one and fifteen, you know, is that what you want on your resume? So. I think really it's going to come down to to him what he wants. You know, does he prioritize the best long term fit, or does he prioritize just being able to walk in and, and take over from day one? Right. Because there's probably 15 to 20 teams where he could just walk in, you know, sign sign a cheap contract, but walk in and just blow the current QB one, you know, out. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, we're saying it's ridiculous how Gardner Minshew is a starting quarterback and Jameis Winston isn't at this point. Like the talent discrepancy is insane there. Um, a follow from what you said, you said. He had offers to be a starting QB early in the offseason, but uh, turned them down waiting for to see what happened in Tampa. Do you know which teams those were specifically? I, I can't talk on that, but I mean, I'll, I'll even just point you to the Jeremy Fowler interview on ESPN where, you know, he talked about uh, a deal falling through. Um, and I do know that if, if Mrs. Camp was told by multiple teams that, he, you know, it would have been a done deal had he not waited on Tampa. Okay. And yeah, um, he did the classy thing, I feel like, waiting to see if they would resign him. Right. Could say. 
Um, so where do you think, what is his next move? And right now, like you said, you know, wait till after the draft. Where do you think the best des- destination would be for him after the draft? Like just in general, like gives him the best chance to compete for a job. I mean, you, can, you know, you can you can just sort of go down the list as far as teams where he could walk in and, and blow out the current QB1. Um, but again, you know, is that is that more important than a long-term fit? I mean, if he knows, so for example, you know, Drew Brees, the news comes out that Drew Brees has this this great gig lined up to take over NBC yeah. Sports Sunday Night Football when he retires. You know, if that is a if that's a one year plan, if when Sean Payton said this is Brees' last year, if that was true, you know, because a lot of people think Brees will play at least two more years, but you know, let's say that is the plan that Brees has got one year left and then he's going to walk off into the NBC booth. You know, Jameis very well may prioritize uh, that situation. Because I know there's some history there with Sean Payton. I know I know Payton loves Jameis. Uh, I know Jameis and Drew Brees get along very well. Um, you know, it, it's a great situation. It's in the same division. You know, it's a dome team, nice weather, all that. Yeah. You know, would he prioritize that? Would he prioritize that over another team? Right. Be it the Jaguars, the Dolphins, the Broncos. I mean, he could blow Drew Locke out of the out of the water. You know, right. types of teams. I mean, yeah, you put Drew Brees in a dome, or sorry, Jameis Winston in a dome with Sean Payton calling his plays. That would be just electric. You give him Michael Thomas, that would be a great fit. And he would totally beat out Taysom Hill if they really think that he's a legitimate guy for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so now in specifics, because a lot of people are now seeing the Bucks as a playoff team with Brady. And, you know, if you look at their QBRs, I know that's not a great stat, but they were about the same last year. They have a lot of deep underlying stats that show it's not much of an upgrade. From a brand standpoint, it certainly is. But do you think like this move for the Bucks uh, in specific is any type of upgrade going with Brady over Jameis? I have, you know, when the when the uh, 2020 schedule came out, as far as you know, who the common opponents are, things of that nature. Um, I had the Bucks at about 11 and five with Jameis, and I think they'll be right around 11 and five with Brady. I don't think that the record really will will be that much different. I think the play style is going to be entirely different, though. So, from my view, you know, they downgraded that quarterback as far as what Bruce Arians wants to do. However, I don't think Bruce Arians is going to do what he used to do with Brady. I think the entire thing is going to change. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Bruce Arians is going to ask Tom Brady to do what he asked Jameis Winston to do. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. Brady's going to come in there. Brady's going to run Brady's offense. So, mm-hmm. if that's the case, and they do upgrade at right tackle, and they do bring in another running back. Um, I think they can have a, a solid year. I think they can get to 11 wins, get a six or seven seed. Um, you know, I don't see them getting through the NFC. The NFC has got a lot of good teams in it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised he didn't choose the Chargers as far as uh, a shot to get to the Super Bowl because I think in the AFC, you know, you've got the Ravens and the Chiefs, and then there's just kind of everybody else. Yeah. So had he stayed with the Patriots or gone to the Chargers, I think he, he immediately could have been on the third best team. Whereas with the Bucks, you know, you still have six or seven teams that are legit in the NFC that you got to get through. Um, but I do, I do view them as a playoff team. I view them as an 11-5 team with Jameis uh, running Bruce's offense. I view them as an 11-5 team with Brady running Brady's offense. Okay. So I think, I think it'll look different, but I think the results will ultimately be right around the same. Now Brady's—that's a good point. Brady's offense will definitely, you know, there's a lot more running involved. Do you think Ronald Jones can handle that workload all on his own, or do you think they need to bring in anyone? And is there a guy in the draft you like or anything like that? Yeah, I would imagine they, they would spend one of their first, uh, first, second, or third round picks on a running back. Um, I think Rojo has a lot of talent, um, but he's not a great receiver. 
And I know mm-hmm. Brady loves, you know, uh, pass-catching backs. So I think, you know, they may have their eye on a guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, you know, and if, if they could get a guy like Dobbins or, or Jonathan Taylor, somebody like that, fine. Um, Edwards-Hilaire might make more sense if they can get him as a value pick in the third round, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that they'll commit more to the running game and a lot more to the short passing game. You, you're just not going to ask Tom Brady to do what you asked Jameis Winston to do. He, he's not going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely different quarterbacks, uh, different style of plays. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about Bruce Arians because the way he's handled this has been really fascinating to me. He's done like a 180 in some sort. So he had the quote that came out, uh, if we can win with this QB, we can win with others. And like I was surprised by this. I want to know what you thought on that. And now also there are reports that he was, after Jameis went out the door, he was like calling teams specifically to give Jameis a shot. Like what are your thoughts on how he's handled this entire situation? I understand that that's what people do. 
I mean, Bruce has his eyes on the Hall of Fame the same way players do. Yeah. You know, he wants to get there, and he's taking a last shot. And um, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. You know? Right. I saw the uh, PFF stat. I'm sure you have better ones. It was like turnover-worthy throws last in the first year in Bruce Arians' system. Carson Palmer, Andrew Luck, and Jameis Winston all had 40. But Jameis is the one who's labeled as the turnover machine. And, like, yeah, people aren't really seeing it from the perspective of Bruce Arians' offense asked Jameis to do so much more than any other QB in the league. So that's why I always have to explain to my friends who don't get it with Jameis, that's why his turnovers are so high. That's why all his volume numbers are through the roof because Bruce Arians is asking him to throw, you know, drop back more than any other QB in the league. Well, yeah, and that, that really was a, uh, an interesting and, and sort of a great stat that PFF put out, um, you know, because people that are saying things like, well, Jameis is making mistakes in his fifth year that he's shunned even as a rookie. Okay, he and Carson Palmer had the same turnover, of, you know, the same amount of turnover-worthy plays. Carson Palmer was a 10-year vet when he hooked up with Arians. And on top of that, Jameis actually attempted 54 more passes than Palmer did in his first year, year with Arians. So you're talking about, you know, a 25-year-old yeah, kid in his fifth season attempting 54 more passes and only having the exact same amount of turnover-worthy plays as a 10-year veteran in Carson Palmer did. So this narrative is it, it's sort of nonsense, um, but it is a way for Bruce to sort of escape any blame. And if you go back, you know, he even came out, in, which there's certain ways that he could have said things that, that um, wouldn't have irked me as much as he said that Jameis had progressed the whole season and, and, you know, had impressed him, and that in the last two games he regressed, yeah. and that's what it was about. Now, if that's true, Bruce Arians needs to be checked for CTE because that's an insane statement. Those last two games, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, yeah. and Scotty Miller, the number four receiver, were all out with injuries from the yeah. year. Jameis was playing on a torn meniscus and with a broken throwing thumb, which he didn't need to play those games at all. Arians wanted him to play until he played. So, and yeah, he had some rough stats games. And, and even in those rough stat games, the Texans game came down towards the end and the Bucks were marching for a game, on a game-winning drive. And on a fourth down pass, Jameis threw a perfect pass, hit Cam Bray in the hands, and Bray dropped it. Right, and that, yeah. that you know, effectively ended the game. And then the next week, the last game of the year in Atlanta, their kicker, Matt Gay, who loves Jameis, but still, he, he missed Yeah, he missed it, yeah. Had he just... And he, and he just made one of the three, just had two field goal misses, they would have won the game and never would have went to overtime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if that's actually Bruce Arians' reasoning, um, somebody needs to check the old man for CP. <laughs> and yeah. I'm saying that, you know, tongue-in-cheek. And, uh, but still, it's, it's sort of absurd. Right. And one more thing about, um, you know, we talked about the torn meniscus. He had the LASIK eye surgery, and they're, you know, insert Twitter, social media, they had jokes with that about how he's blind and how he couldn't see. Do you think that will actually play a role into next year, maybe improving a little bit? Like, do you think the eyesight actually caused issues for Jameis? Well, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that it would hurt. Um, if anything, it's going to help. You know, a lot of people, I've never had LASIK myself, but, you know, a lot of people that have, I, I had an interview with J.P. Peterson, and he talked about it was life-changing for him. You know, that it, I mean, it changed his entire life, and a lot of people talk about it that way. So um, I, I definitely don't think it can hurt. It could only help. You know, and he, you know, Bruce even said, well, he can't see the scoreboard. But, you know, he can see the colors of the jerseys. So, yeah, I think it'll help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, a lot of teams now that, like, are looking for quarterbacks, I think um, a lot of them, like, would be going into the route of going into the, uh, like, picking a QB in the draft. So, like, where if you were a GM of a team that was quarterback needy at the time, like, all biases aside, like, where, where would you 
like rank Burrow over like Joe Burrow or something over uh, Jameis or like Tua or Herbert? Like, where do you stand on that? Burrow's an interesting one. Uh, me personally, I mean, if I was jamming the Bengals, you know, I would trade the pick. Um, and that isn't because really? I don't like Joe Burrow. It's just that, you know, from reports, it seems the Dolphins are willing to give up a King's ransom. You know, it's possible that a team like the Jaguars with two firsts and, and uh, quite a few picks in the, in the end could do the same. So the Bengals are a bad team. You know, they, they've been a bad team for quite a while. They're, they've been sort of a bad organization. Um, and I just, I don't believe that a quarterback can come in and save a franchise. It, it just doesn't happen that way. You need a team around you. You look around and most all the quarterbacks that do well, especially early in their careers, they were drafted into great situations. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes sat for a year behind Alex Smith, who, who was just a game manager. And yeah, Alex Smith was in the MVP race and had the Chiefs in legit Super Bowl contention. You know, the year before Mahomes took over, Deshaun Watson, you know, got drafted to a team that played in as many playoff games in the years before he got there than they have since, since they drafted him. And they did that with guys like Brock Osweiler and Brandon Wheaton and, um, you know, Ryan Matlett. So Aaron Rodgers, another one where, you know, he inherited, I think, a 13-3 and team the first time he became a starter. He took over a team that was 13-3 and the year before. So to just draft Burrow and throw him to the wolves, so to speak, and say, carry us. I think it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, I don't really wish that on that young man. But, you know, he's a hometown boy, and I think they may look at him as a ticket seller. I think they may look at him as, as a financial uh, boon for their for their team. So I could see them holding on to Burrow um, just because I think he'll bring in some massive revenue, whereas if you traded him, that wouldn't happen. Um, as far as Tua goes, I mean, if I'm a team like the Dolphins, I, I personally would rather sign Jameis and draft, you know, maybe the best offensive tackle available uh, to protect him than just draft Tua. Because mm-hmm. Tua, we really don't know what he is. I think Tua is a better prospect than Joe Burrow, if healthy. Um, but my, Michael Lombardi, you know, he did a uh, an interview the other day, and he said that, you know, two teams had told him Tua's just, like, not even on their board. They think he's brittle and, and he's just not going to last. So they just, like, took him off the board because of medical. And if that's the case, you know, spending the fifth pick in the draft on a guy who may never play or may get in there, you know, may redshirt this year, play in 2021 and have a short career, that's scary. I mean, that's a way for a GM to get fired quick. So, you know, the team already uh, loves Fitzpatrick. They loved what he brought to the team. You know, and Fitzpatrick was a backup for Jameis for two years. So uh, if they love Fitzpatrick, yeah, I think they could fall in love with Jameis too. So we'll see. I mean, um, that's where I would look at it on those two quarterbacks. As far as a guy like Jordan Love or Justin Herbert, I think they're both really raw. Um, so if they get into the right situation and they can they can sit and learn, you know, I, I imagine both could turn into two good quarterbacks. But I think you're sort of taking a flyer on both of those guys. You don't really know what they're going to be. Same with Jacob Eason, um, Jalen Hurts, some of the guys that are projected in the second, third, fourth rounds of the draft. So I think if you're just looking at draft quarterbacks and sort of throwing Jameis in there as, as like a 25-year-old rookie, um, I think he – blows all of them away as far as just a pure talent. You know, he, yeah, he's got a little more wear and tear on the body. He is coming off multiple surgeries. So that plays into it. Um, you know, but GMs, a lot of times, they'll play safe. They'll, they'll make the safe play because fans like to think that every team is trying to win the Super Bowl every year. That's not true. That's not true at all. Many teams, they're trying to sell tickets, and many GMs are simply trying to keep their job and maybe even get an extension. Jason Light used Jameis Winston as a scapegoat for years to get an extension. And, um, you know, 
same thing. Through sources, Jason Light is furious with some of the interviews that I've given. Um, and I'll put this on this on my Twitter, and he can listen to it. And if he wants to reach out, he can instead of uh, talking to people in, in bad channels. But many GMs use players, use quarterbacks, especially franchise quarterbacks, to get themselves contract extensions. These are men with families. This is not this is not about the fans and bringing a Super Bowl to a team. This is about keeping your job, you know, and stacking your bank account and being able to retire one day. So you know the the uh, Bengals choosing Burrow, it makes all the sense in the world, even if it would be smarter for them to trade the pick because he represents revenue. He represents what the fans want. And so you're sort of buying yourself. And if he struggles out of the gate, you can say, well, that's okay. He was still a good pick. Let's, let's wait it out. Let's give him the four years. Um, you know, with Jameis, you're bringing him in on a heftier contract, of course, than what a rookie would get. And you're sort of putting your name with him and saying, well, he's going to have to have to do it. So it is, I, I can understand why it's, it's a little scary for some GMs to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to, uh, to take a rookie where the, the owner will give you a few years uh, a cushion. Yeah, because, you know, they say that's a great way to keep your job is get a rookie quarterback in there because then you can you can always blame it on them, the coach, stuff like that. I'm wondering overall, do you think Jason Light has done a good job as the Bucks GM? You know, I think we asked you last time, but obviously a lot has happened since then with the Jameis move. Are you in or out on him as the GM of the Tampa Bay Bucks? I was always very, very nice to Jason, um, you know. But that was that was uh, I, w- I was that way for a reason. <laughs> he knows that um, I was playing nice. But no, Jason Light obviously is a failure as a GM. I mean, that's he just everybody that oh. he, he failed as a GM. Um, <laughs> he had a Hall of Fame level talent as a quarterback for five years, and he never once could give him even a league average run game and defense and points allowed, not for one season out of those five. I mean, that, that is abject failure, of course. So Jason Light has a decent eye for talent, especially on the offensive line. You know, he's grabbed some guys there in the, in the later rounds. Um, yeah, I'm not saying he's terrible. He, he uh, is far better than, than quite a few GMs. And the Bucks do a very good job with their cap. You know, they, um, they're routinely at the bottom of the league or at the top look at it that way at the top of the league as far as the best teams in, in having the least amount of dead cap space. So he's not a terrible GM by any means, but he absolutely failed um, in crafting a, a decent team around a number one overall pick quarterback, much the same way that, you know, the Bucks failed Steve Young in the past. They failed Doug Williams in the past. Yeah. And those two guys weren't, you know, uh, at least Steve Young, he wasn't the number one overall pick, but you know, many organizations do that. They, they draft a quarterback number one overall, they give him a couple weapons, and they say, carry us. It, it just doesn't work that way. You know, even Dan Marino, who was like a quarterback god, he had a great defense. People completely forget that because all they think about is Dan Marino throwing for a lot of yards. But people need to go look into the stats. That Miami Dolphins team had a legitimate defense. And, um, you know, Jameis was handed the ball and sold sling us to victory. And it just it doesn't work. And if that's what the Bengals are planning to do with Joe Burrow – if I were him, if I were his agent, I would tell them, hey, I'm not playing for you. I'm pulling Eli Manning. You better trade me because I'm not going to Cincinnati and wasting my career like that. Yeah, that's some powerful stuff right there. Thank you. Uh, I have a few more questions for you. One, sure. I want to know, I saw it today. You, I thought this was very interesting. You applied to a tweet with uh, the t- Tom Brady, ridiculous like Tampa Bay uh, copyright today saying the diva has arrived. Do you want to maybe go more into depth on that? Like, do you think Tom Brady really is a diva, or is that just about the ridiculous copyright? <laughs> yeah, a couple of people got mad that I uh, that I said that, and I said, hey, you know, 
relax. Don't don't take it out of context. I'm I'm just having fun. I love Brady. I mean, I know there's a lot a lot of Jameis Winston fans that now hate Tom Brady because mm-hmm. Tom came to Tampa. That's that's not who I am. That's not the way that I think. Um, I love Tom Brady. I have a ton of respect for him. I'm interested to see every game he plays in Tampa. Um, right. So really, I was just having fun with that. I, I think the the uh, Tampa Bay and Tampa Brady is kind of silly. Yeah, um, I don't really know who would buy a shirt like that. Nah, um, so yeah, I, I said the diva has arrived, really just kind of poking fun at it. But, you know, um, I do think, you know, there is something to Tom... He's changing a bit. You know, I think that he's uh, he's happy to be out of New England. He's happy to be away from Belichick. He's happy to be able to do his own thing. I mean, Bill Belichick runs an extremely tight ship. And I think Tom is having fun. I think he's, he's in the, the last act of his career. And uh, I think he's going to have fun in Tampa. So I do think, you know, he, he may be acting like a diva a bit now, and, and it may play out during the season. Um, you know, if... if uh, some defensive ends blow by Donovan Smith and blow him up the way that happened with Jameis. Uh, I don't, I don't see him handling it the same way as Jameis did. If the ball is, you know, going through receivers' hands and they're bobbling up in the air, and he's got eight, ten, twelve interceptions at the end of the year that weren't on him. I don't see him handling it the same way as Jameis. I think Tom, you know, expects to be revered at this point in his career, and he deserves that. Nice. You know, he absolutely deserves that. But I think he expects to be revered in his career at this point. And uh, I don't think he's just going to come in there and, and be rah-rah team first uh, type of guy the way Jameis was. I think he's going to demand what he demands and expect uh, respect and reverence in return. Yeah, I mean, Brady is the Gatsby. So, you know, you get him down in Tampa, you let him sling the football a little bit more, you know. I think he's just going to have fun out there. I, I think the fit, like as you were saying earlier, it's going to be a different offense. It's going to be Brady's offense. So, you know, they just have to surround him with a few more backs, obviously. Rojo maybe can't do it on his own. Uh, we have... Uh, one more question, I think, for you. Um, so you so you mentioned that you think Jason Light, like he's, you said he's like failing, like he failed James, but then you also mentioned that there are a few general managers that you said like are doing a worse job. Like what I know that you'd never call for anybody's job, but like what are other people like? What teams have like GMs? Do you think that are like that are not doing like as good of a job as even like Jason Light? Well, Jacksonville, you know, for one, um, that that was a disaster. You know, they brought Coughlin in there to run things, and uh, everything just fell apart. They had more players, you know, file complaints against them than all the other teams put together. So that was a disaster. The M's, I think, have uh, sort of destroyed their Super Bowl window by overpaying Goff, overpaying Curly, overpaying yep. Cooks, and now they're in basically in salary cap, you know, purgatory. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've, they've destroyed themselves. Dallas. I love Jerry Jones. I, I have a lot of love for Dallas, uh, both as a team and just that that state, the state of Texas and that area. Uh, I've spent time there. I've lived there for a little bit. Um, and But I, I look at them as doing the exact same thing that the Rams are doing. The same thing the Rams did with Goff, Gurley, and Cooks, the Cowboys seem to be repeating that mistake with Dak, Zeke, and Amari Cooper. And uh, I think it's going to have a disastrous ending in Dallas. And um, I don't like saying that because, again, I, I like the star. I like the Cowboys. But to me, you know, I don't think they have the guts to do it. But Dallas is the team that I look at um, as a team that has a chance right now to become a dynasty with with one move. And that move is trading Dak Prescott. I think, that Dalton, I think that the Dolphins would jump all over a deal of Dak for their two first-round picks. That's excluding their number five. You know, they can use their number mm-hmm. five in the best tackler, a guy like Isaiah Simmons. But if the 
Cowboys were to trade back for those Dolphins two picks, use one of those picks to replace Travis Frederick with the best uh, center in the draft, Ruiz from Michigan, use another kind of corner to, to replace Byron Jones. And then with the money that Dak was asking for, reportedly $40 million, Go get yourself Jameis and yep. Jadavion Clowney. Wow. Go get yourself, get yourself Jameis and Clowney. And in effect, you would have traded Dak Prescott for Jameis Winston, Jadavion Clowney, and two first-round picks. And that, to me, would be like a Herschel Walker-type trade where they set themselves up as a dynasty in the past. I don't think they have the guts to do it, but who knows? I mean, yeah, you got to take chances in this league. And doing a deal like that, bringing in Jameis to replace Dak, getting those picks and Clowney— that would just be like that would be wow. That's a wow factor. That's must see TV in Dallas. We've seen a lot of uh, moves shake up the the league. That would certainly shake up the league more so than like any move recently. Even the Tom Brady uh, signing and DeAndre Hopkins and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and, and it, it would make sense, and it would make sense even with the timing perspective. Um, you know, guys like Jameis and Cam and you know Andy Dalton, if he's released. It's hard, you know, with this COVID thing going on and to, to slip into a team and, you know, not know the system. But Dallas has a brand new system. Dak doesn't know it either. You know, so Mike McCarthy's coming in there and, you know, whether they were to trade and sign Jameis or bring back Dak, they're both learning from scratch. Yeah. You think, though, that Dak has two round, like two firsts from the Dolphins round value and you think the Dolphins make that move? Or is it just like a pipe, pipe dream? No, I think the Dolphins would probably do it. And the reason I say that is because they'd be able to keep that number five overall pick, which, you know, most people are projecting they're going to use on Tua. So they'd be able to keep that and take the top offensive tackler, the top defender on their board, and just use those other two on deck. So basically, you know, if they do the trade, and they just stick with what they've got. They've, they're going to have Tua and then those two lower first-round picks. And Tua might redshirt the year and may not be anything. Who knows? Whereas if they do this deal, they get Dak and they get that number one offensive tackle on their board or that number one defender on their board. I, I really think Dal- uh, Miami would jump at the deal, and I think Dallas should do it. If, if they can trade, trade Dak and end up with you know Jameis Clowney at 2-1, I think it's a no-brainer for both Dallas, and I think it's a no-brainer for Miami, really. I, I love that. Wow. That would be electric. Um, I was just wondering, like with all this, like, like – COVID stuff going on. How do you think that's affecting uh, Jameis not being signed yet? Like, is there, do you think that if this wasn't going on, like he would have been on a team already? Because it seems like the second, even the third wave of free agency is kind of like passed by and he's still unsigned. So do you think that this has like been like affecting him trying to sign with any teams? Uh, yes and no. I mean, um, I, I mean, I think if Jameis wanted the job right now, he'd have one. It's, I really think it makes more sense for him to wait till the draft's over. But the COVID thing has, has sort of been a disaster, and teams would like to meet Jameis, talk to him face-to-face. Um, and that's actually, you know, one of the, the best-selling points he has. You know, you get him in a room with a GM, the GM's going to fall in love with him. You know, the, the media doesn't know him. They don't understand him. You know, they, I, I read something in Pittsburgh today because there's a, a fellow on CBS Sports that's really banging the, the, the drum hard to get Jameis to the Steelers. And I know Bill Cowher has come out and said that. Peter King has said that. A few other guys have all tried to say, hey, Jameis to the Steelers is the perfect fit. You know, but the Steelers, their fans, their media, they don't know Jameis. And I, and I read a piece and it said, well, Jameis is a malcontent and a diva. I mean, you got to be kidding come me. On, Anybody man. that actually knows Jameis would never use those words with him. You know, he's, he's the hardest worker there is. He loves his teammates. He's, he's totally team first. But, you know, the media perspective and players' perspective is, is completely different. So to have him in a room with a GM, I think, yeah, the GM would fall in love with him. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, the media is just the bashing they've done on Jameis is just it's so frustrating. I forgot to, you know, earlier you did say like I forgot I completely forgot about the quote that Bruce Arians, you know, if we can win with this one, we can win with others was false. And I remember the time you came out with that great hit piece, you know, exposing the writer for making that up. So, you know, we Jameis Truthers, we appreciate all the work you're doing, exposing some of the just incorrect statements about him. Thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. You guys have a great day. Thanks, you too. And stay safe out there. Yeah, you too. So that interview was brought to you by BBV Giants, the number one source for NY Giants content on IG. Thank you so much, Charlie, for letting us uh, giving us that sponsor money. Uh, it was a pretty good interview, guys. You know, good stuff by Jameis One of One. Score loud. Yeah. Now let's move on to uh, Firefest. So we watched both the documentaries on Netflix and Hulu. We're going to talk about them, compare them. First off, why don't you guys start with just your number one takeaway from these docs, Ernie? Like the whole time, um, it's, it was very, it was very aggravating almost to watch to watch uh, both these documentaries. And uh, it's overall, you can just see that like influencers in general are just fucking stupid. Like they are, they they are no, they are nothing like no name, like dumb idiots who are lazy and don't want to do any work and just like pump like shitty products on their Instagram, such as Firefest. And uh, you know these fools, these absolute buffoons like fuck Jerry, who just mooch off people's content and post stupid shit on their Instagram and just like copy and paste memes from Google. Like they're just bad people, and that honestly they're worse than Billy McFarlane because they they enabled him to. Wow, wow. I, wow, I disagree with that. I think influencers definitely played a part, but at the end of the day, they his enabled show was just he had no ran by morons. Idiots like ja Rule and fuck yeah, Jerry yeah. They they Not they, they lived the Firefest. Before the Firefest, when they did yeah. those photo shoots and shit, and it was just, I it was just a wild fucking move. I don't know why they had to do this. I mean, it, it was supposed to be like a promotion for the app, but yeah. I mean, it, I don't know what the plan was going in there. They just, it was, it was just a fraud. As as the second also, also, just what a shitty idea. Like, who you if you're gonna have a music festival, you need to plan it like at least like twelve to eighteen months in advance. You don't plan it with six months before you're gonna do it. Also, they made it in the like they were doing it in, like the Bahamas or whatever, right? On the busiest weekend in the in the Bahamas because there was like that yeah. that sailing thing, yeah. right? So there were no hotels, no cars, no nothing for these people to be able to like to go anywhere, right? So it was you know, just you know, so poorly planned out, and he wouldn't budge. Oh, like, yeah. It was just so like if you're gonna do it, like do it when you like when it'll be like good to have it, like you know what I mean. Like it was like everything that could have possibly went wrong for them went wrong because of just shitty planning, right? It wasn't like bad luck. Besides like the the pouring rain the night before, that's the only thing that was like bad luck for them. Everything else they put upon themselves. Um, I was gonna say, uh, but I I don't I I don't necessarily believe like obviously the planning was a huge issue i just think the innate the innate problem like the, just the massive problem with like firefest in general is just like you just have like the shittiest amalgam of people like trying to plan something that's just like way bigger than themselves dude like they're just like you have like the laziest like just like absolute no name that's like planning this and honestly like you could just see like like honestly the say it ain't so boys would have done a better job at planning, at planning oh, yeah. firefest yeah Easily. before we yep. continue here we're gonna announce our own festival say it ain't so fast um, it's say it's it ain't so fast north pole, it's coming north it's pole. coming uh two days from now in the north pole <laughs> two in the days north pole. from now uh at glen island yeah <laughs> at glen island <laughs> yep. at, at the corona testing site glen island new york we're gonna uh, have a lot of great live acts 
we got a uh, uh, Ja Rule. We got ja Rule, Ja Rule planning, uh, planning us for it. You know, I'm really we got, excited uh, to work with him. We got Instagram meme producer Jaquan uh, pumping this thing. Uh, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna be really good. We're gonna be really good. Yeah, go, it's uh, you, you can't buy your tickets beforehand. It's ten thousand dollars at the gate. But then once you're in, you could see all our live acts. We have a ton of live acts performing. We cannot confirm any yet, but uh, they they will be there. That I can say. There will Loftus be live. Will be, Loftus will be fighting Grizzly Bear live. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll confirm that right now. That's the one act I'll confirm. Loftus, and, and, <laughs> and when I say to the death, I mean to the death. We're, we're covering Loftus in Sardine Grease, and he's going to fight a Grizzly Bear. And I'm just gonna, we're just going to see how it goes. Yeah. And after that, you know, we will have some live performances. It's going to be uh, really electric, and I can't wait for you guys to check it out. Trust so, will be swallowing swords. So, so I can't Excuse give you me? a date. All I can say, it's two days from now. Yeah. Two days. Two days what from is it, April now. 13th? April 13th. From now. No, no, Two from days. now. No, 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 not April 13th. Two days from now. Two days from now, and it starts at 3 a.m. Okay? That's not a festival. I would recommend you probably show up at 2.45-ish if you want to get in early. If you want to get a ticket. If you want to get a ticket, because it's going to be swamped. It's just going to be chock full of, of people trying to get influencers there. Uh, really excited for it. Uh, you know, one of, Kurt Schilling's going to be there. We're really excited about that. Um, he's going to be signing autographs. It's just going to be OJ. a really fun time. OJ is going to be there. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, we're going to have a Pop Kirk Smoke Hernandez. hologram. We're going to have Aaron Hernandez and Pop Smoke perform together. That's one of the acts I'll confirm right now. Um, I'll confirm gonna Aaron have... Hernandez Pop Smoke duet. Yeah, we have uh, – and Gre- Greggy is going to be self-mutilating on stage. Yeah. Greggy has gotten some ribs removed. We'll see what he does with that. Yeah, we'll see what he does. Some he does. some lower ribs have been removed. Yep. So he's gonna try a stunt that nobody's ever seen before. Cap will be the whole chef. Cap's gonna be running the uh, cooking. Yeah, it's yep. a lot of Italian cuisine. Yeah, uh, no cheese sandwich. Serve your, ticket, your ticket's not gonna get you food. All right, you have to pay on your own, but we're gonna make you buy tickets to uh, buy your food first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and we're gonna give you the tickets there. And then and we're, we're gonna not strong gonna arm, strong, and we're gonna strong arm local the local population into working for us, and then not pay them. Uh, yeah. That's one hundred percent the plan. So t- two days from now, Glen Island, be there at maybe even two thirty. Be there yeah. or be square. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there are tents to stay overnight. Yeah. Uh, and some honestly, goals. going back to Firefest, the funny one of the funniest funniest parts is that they have. Like the ref, like fucking like refugee tents from like Afghanistan. <laughs> like all, all these people. It's like it's like, yeah, they're they're like you're refugee the, tents. You're paying for the luxe, the luxe, like the luxe, the luxe suite, and then like they're just pay- they're sleeping in a fucking tent that's like waterlogged. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's start like from the beginning and patch a story story together. So basically, this nut Billy McFarlane and Ja Rule they team up the frat to boy. A, they te- yeah, he's a frat boy. They team up to create an app that lets you like book like famous uh, celebrities, artists to like perform at your birthday party and shit. And their idea to promote it, some like random guy, I forget his name, is just like, yo, let's like throw a music festival to promote it. And then Billy hears that and he's like, like, holy shit, let's do it. So they get like an island, Pablo Escobar's island. It's apparently perfect for them. And the people that are there, like, just don't mention it in the ad. The first thing they do is mention it in the ad. They get kicked off the island. And from there, it's just a shit show. <laughs> Why would you mention that it's Pablo Escobar's island? Like, like, in the the one, like you can use this island, like this insane island. Just don't mention in the ad that it's his island. Like the first thing owned by Pablo Escobar. 
you gotta respect that move. They really kind of ego child the uh, the owners of the island, and they really just went for it. Uh, also, that being also, said, really screwed them in the end. The island, the island um, that they were using, like it wasn't like ready for a festival. Like like there wasn't like a like a mass like like lot. There was no infrastructure. There was no yeah. infrastructure. There was no water like lines on anything. There was no power like lines or anything like they. So this was like ready. a half-assed idea, and then Billy yeah. McFarlane like just decided to go all in, even though all the warning signs were saying not to. And the first thing he did, which I guess was the only positive like marketing on his end, was get a ton of no-name influencers that Herney just bashed and called talentless. Get no, there were to- some big-name influencers there. Oh, uh, so yeah. Posting yeah. the orange. Well, no, like Kendall Jenner. Like, no, big yeah. names. I'm saying Kendall they're big Jenner. names, but, like, they're no names. They're no names in the sense of their talent. Like, they have, they, they actually have no, like, like worth. They, 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 yeah. they have no talent. What does Kendall fucking Kylie Jenner do? She no, looks hot. Not even her. Like, the no names on the island. Like, they get these... These hot models to go on the island for like three days, like shoot a bunch of shit, and then they just use those promotional videos for like the entire time because there's nothing else positive to show. This just so, shows how dumb millennials are. This is just yeah. like a testament to our shit. Like we're piece. not we're not millennial generation, but we're essentially like that kind no. of related to that generation. Like, like this just shows like millennials are dumb. Like they just yeah. don't like they're dumb. They have no foresight. Like they just see like beach party and they're like hell yeah like let me buy let me like use my dad's credit card to buy like a fucking ten thousand dollar ticket to Firefest. right so, so after dumb. they get kicked off the island you can't feel bad for them you can't yeah. you really can't so, well that's so, what makes the documentaries like so funny that yeah. there's no like real victim there it's just billy yeah. went to don't feel bad no the only real victim is the poor people in the fucking dip- in, like, the, yeah. that had the people of the island are the victims they didn't get their fucking money. It's like it's like rich white, like rich white, like 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 douche, like stealing money from poor like fucking like yeah. Caribbean people. It's fucked up, assholes. So the guy behind this, Billy McFarland, we we're going in earlier. He's just a guy who wants to be like a financial mogul, have a ton yeah, of money, yeah. but Not just to work. refuses to work for it. Like yeah, that no- that's a guy. Like even after when he gets out, he's never gonna work a normal job. He's always gonna be running some fucking scheme. That guy refuses to earn an honest living. Oh, oh, oh. You remember at the end where they're like, he already like, he like started up his like ticket sale thing after Firefest failed? Yeah. NYC yeah. live events. Yeah, NYC live events. John so, so he gets the, back on the like, linear track, he gets like this new island to the Bahamas that like, there's nothing good about it besides it's like a cool island. There's no infrastructure. It's like they book it on the worst weekend of the year because it's the most populated. And they're like, yeah, this seems like a good idea. Let's do this island. And so then they just like they fuck around and then they promise all these villas and stuff. And that's what got all the millennials in. Like they promised all these artists. So it got all these stupid millennials in and they bought a ton of tickets. And at the same time, Billy McFarland decides to make this credit card. Mag, what's it called? Mag. No, he made Magnesis. So, so Magnesis before was before this, right? So Magnesis, so he had this idea that like there's like the the American Express, like black, like the Black American Express card, or whatever, right? And then he yeah. like decided to just put a metal, a black metal sheet over like a normal credit card and call it like Magnesis or whatever. And was, there was like, yeah, it, it yeah. Was just, okay, this is this is why I don't get. This is the worst product of all time. The appeal of the American Express black card is that there's no spending limit. And then he, all he does is put a metal case on a regular credit card, which would still have a limit. But with Magnesis, you get weird perks, and then you could hang out in like an Airbnb townhouse he rents. And <laughs> yeah, also to, like, the point of like he, the, the thing with the American Express Black Card, you also like there's also like weird like perks like that where you could like go to like weird lounges and like hotels and stuff and like American and like airplanes and shit. Like all like all Bill, Billy McFarl 
McFarlane is just like it's just like what's it called? Like he's like he's like the disguise of wealth. Like all he wanted to do is seem like he's really rich when he's not that rich. Well, I think there's a lot of people like that. He's like he wants to be fake, like new money, and uh, and the fact that he was able to get in the door with Magnesis, which is really just like the dumbest product ever, makes so he bought a sheet of metal from China and put his fucking yeah. debit card in it. Yeah, it's this, it's the one of the like like most like insane products I've ever seen. It's just ridiculous. Like, why would? How does that work? And, and then so his other boy at the same time is like a wristband, and so you have to put like a shit ton of money on the wristband, and then that's your like credit card for the weekend. So he doesn't even promote Magnesis in that way because it's like a new. Well, Magnesis Magnesis was over before and Fire. He started Fire the the Fire business after Magnesis. So it already flopped. So like he's trying to trick people into putting a ton of money on these wristbands that they won't end up spending, and he's like lying in emails saying they need to put like a minimum of. 300 per day, 3,000, just all these numbers that are, like, insane. And the millennials are stupid, so they're still buying the tickets. Yeah. And then it really becomes, like, a holy shit moment. Like, is this real? They bring in Fuck Jerry to promote it, and they're just promoting this bullshit. The Fuck Jerry's a meme account on Instagram, and I had no idea that they were a part of this. And I was like, like, geez, like, this is just a random Instagram account. Like, I can't believe they were trusted with this. And they're just promoting some shit that is not at all what the festival is going to be. So, like, as the weeks went down, like, really everyone is just fucked here. And there's, like, this – you could tell the festival is already, like, in the shitter and it's not going to go well. It's being promoted as something else. Ryan, you're begging to talk. You go. I think uh, Fuck Jerry being brought in, like, kind of shows, like, the disconnect between, uh, like, older people who have money now and, like, young people uh, who are working on the internet. I feel like a lot of, like, old investors now, they'll believe in anything that gets big on the internet because they want to believe that's the next, like, boom. And like they believe, like Fuck Jerry isn't a marketing company. They're a meme account that got big, but since they're able to grow this to get like however many millions on Instagram, because they were kind of like the first big meme account. Uh, I feel like all these like these like old investors like behind Billy McFarland probably believe like, oh shit, they 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 know the internet, they know how to do this. Where if like you heard that statement from someone your own age, that's like that's ridiculous. What do you mean they know the internet? So they get brought in and they promote this like shitty festival. <laughs> And because of that, and Billy McFarland's, I guess, convincing this, like, he gets a ton of investors, he gets a ton of money, but the issue is it's still not nearly enough, and the big thing is time. They had to rush this whole thing because they decided on this idea four months in advance, and as Chester was saying before, you know, you need at least 12 to 18 months, especially when it's on an island in a foreign country. There's so much, like, wiggle room and so much that can go wrong, and a lot went wrong, so the villas and everything that was promised was not given. (laughs) And there were these hurricane relief tents, Hurricane Matthew, some random hurricane that they had to use for the villas. And I guess, like, there were, like, some people were like, holy shit, we might pull this off. And the day before, there's a massive rainstorm, which just derails the whole thing. The beds are left soaked. They're not prepared for this at all. And, like, at that point, it was literally everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Like, they were like, okay, we have this long to um, get there. Yeah, yeah, you go. So I, I love how, like, they act like the monsoon and, like, the rainstorm was yeah. the breaking point yeah. and of how, like, everything just fell apart after that. They were not prepared either way. I don't know I don't know why, why they put out that narrative, like, oh, no, it rained. Everything's all wet now. Cut the, the, the festival's terrible. Like, that was just, I mean, it was funny, and they clearly were just not prepared. Uh, I just want to just I want to mention one thing that they mentioned in the the Hulu doc. Um, it was mentioned in the Hulu doc that Billy McFarland decided to spend two million dollars worth of booze. <laughs> Spent two million dollars on booze for the festival that that never happened. 
which, which, which with the 45% um, tax on alcohol in the Bahamas, like, is nine, he had to pay $900,000 in uh, alcohol taxes, and he was already, like, in debt, and, like, they didn't have any water or anything, or any I food. think that's the least egregious thing. Yeah, I think that's, like, uh, it, 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 it can add up. The, the price can add up. It yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, but the other things, like, he really just screwed over the, the workers, like, they didn't get paid or anything. Alright, we're not, let's go, okay, her own? Get out of the fishbowl. Bro, we can't fucking hear you. Are you kidding me? What? <laughs> get out of the fishbowl. Can't hear you. <laughs> me? Now you're good. There we go. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Oh, I think my finger was covering my mic. Um, yeah, Billy, Billy McFarlane essentially was just running a Ponzi scheme, because all he was doing was, like, taking investments from like so like the whole thing with like the whole wristband stuff was like all he was doing that was like pay his debt he was taking like the wristband money that was supposed to be on their like their like fire accounts and just like paying his own debt paying for fire with that all he would do was take new investments to pay old investors and then like eventually the money's gonna run dry and that's what happened with Firefest. like he tried to plan like the biggest music festival ever in like a matter of six months and he just like was in over his head and then it's very funny i like Cap said, like, yeah, the narrative, like, the whole narrative breaking points, like, when the rain comes, like, yeah. I don't think, I think the whole, I think the problem was that uh, Billy McFarlane, like, thought of this idea. Can't overlook is Andy King is, like, brought into, like, over this whole thing, and there's a point where, like, the water won't get released, and Billy McFarlane gets him on the phone, he's like, they don't, they don't have the money to get the water released, and they say, like, it's $2 million, whatever it is. We need you to do you a favor. We need you to take, take really it really the you know, you're gay, right? Yeah, you got to suck this guy's dick, and we got to get the water released. And this guy, Andy King, he believes him, and he says, like, as he's being interviewed, like, I fully went over there prepared to suck this guy's dick. That's an all-time moment. All-time moment. And he gets there, like, ready to blow this guy, and he's like, no, we'll just release it. Like, you're fine. Like, it's just not what Billy said at all. And I just thought that is an ultimate scumbag. Yeah, <laughs> this guy. I think he was gonna like. He made this guy wash his mouth, take a shower, you know, get all nice, and for nothing. Also, another funny part was like, you know, that guy Grant. How he wanted everything so like specific, and he also like he like canceled like the catering program like a week before the concert or the festival just because they didn't have sushi chefs. That was insane. <laughs> they were just in over their head, and then they ended up with like cheese sandwiches. Which like blew the whole thing up on Twitter. It was just hilarious. So everyone involved with this was just so inexperienced, and it was like their first time ever running something. And so yeah, that guy Grant, Billy, everyone involved Grant, had no experience at all. Grant was shot. You can't trust a Grant. <laughs> he was yeah, I mean, our Grant, Pelham Grant, could have done a better, maybe a better job. Uh, I don't know about that. But... Shuster, 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 relax, relax, Shuster. Um. <laughs> You know, it was a great side narrative in that whole thing. The uh, like fire fraud account. That that, that account's pretty funny. Like fire fraud. Like, like yeah, the fire guy. fire fraud guy swears he's like the dude from like uh, National Treasure. Like he's that always, guy he, shot. Yeah, that he tries, guy. Like, right. like investigative reporter. He's like googling trends on Twitter. This one guy, um, as they were saying, he's like involved in it, and he knew it was gonna be a shit show. And I guess he felt like he had to be a good Samaritan, so he made like a burner or fire fraud trying to expose it, and it got like no clicks at all. But he, yeah. like, thought it would be, like, Jesus and save the whole thing. And it, yeah. it got, like, two retweets and, like, ten likes. Didn't that guy also, like, he had his title as, like, venture capitalist or something? Yeah. In, in the, in the, um, the Hulu one, right? Yeah. What's wrong with that, Charlie? 
I don't know. Like he just seemed like he wasn't like actually. Do- Why would you make that your title? Why not just say oh owner fryer fraud or whatever? Well, like, well, that, well venture like capitalist completely... meaning he's just like he's just like an investor. That's all he he's is. more than a Twitter account, right? Really. Yeah, he's... You're, you're, more, you're, you're more than BBV. We don't call you BBV. Call you your name. of this podcast. Yeah, and I'm sure there's more. So, as Cap said, the food was shot because they canceled the week before. And all the guests, they're like, okay, we have till 6.50 before they get there. Like, they get there at 6.20. They made that seem too. Like, I was like, oh, if we had those 30 minutes, so we would have pulled it off. And so all the guests, they're all just like these idiot millennials. They throw them to this random bar, like on the other side of the island, to just like get hammered and try to forget about it. And so these guys, they're all just like sitting on the dock, like, where are we going to get to our shit? And so finally, after like six hours of trying to fix the, the ruined tents and shit, they get picked up by a bus driver who like completely ripped it off. He's like, yeah, you guys are fucked. Like, this is going to be a shit show. And they're like, they're like, no, what? No way. And then they get to the tents and you see like all the influencers who are like vlogging and shit. They're like, what is this? Oh, my God. And like, it's just like a shit storm from then on out because now you have all these drunk idiot millennials. Like, it's a free for all for tents. Apparently that guy Grant, he was like, or someone was getting it under control, and Billy just like stands on a tabletop and he's like, "Yeah, guys, like every man for themselves, just take your tent." And then they all are like running and shit. I'm actually shocked that no one died from this, like the way how unorganized it was. Yeah, if the if the uh, Saint Anne's crew is there, we're taking bodies, getting tents, no way around it. And I think all all these soft influencers, they weren't going the extra mile to get their tent. I mean, yes, yeah, some people were looting, but they weren't doing what it took to get your shit. Yeah, I think yeah, sure. we go all the way there. We're beating somebody's head in to get their wristband. No no way around it. So then after that, it's pretty much like chalked. At the same time, all the music artists like notice that it's like a shit show. So they all back down. They cancel all the acts. And as Cap said, there was a picture of a cheese sandwich that got posted on Twitter that went viral. It was just literally <laughs> bread and cheese. They promise like a gourmet meal. And then they send them home. But they send them on – they're, like, waiting in the um, airport, and it gets delayed a day for some reason. Then there's, like, one too many people on the plane, so they have to kick everyone out. And there's the shitstorm every way about it. But the funny thing is throughout this whole time, the media and everyone just, like, thought it was the best because all these millennials were just, like, wasting money down the drain and just getting forced on an island and a shit show. And I think that was, like, a big theme. Like, millennials are just idiots. Uh, yeah, and then so, like, the, the, the festival's pretty much done. The festival's mm-hmm. over. Billy McFarlane's in some deep shit. And it takes a crazy turn. Billy, Billy McFarlane starts vlogging his life. <laughs> uh, essentially, he starts making it like he makes it, he becomes a content machine, <laughs> vlogging himself running NYC live events, which is another scam that he runs where he's selling t- tickets to events that he doesn't have or that you can't buy tickets to. So he vlogs that for some weird reason, becomes <laughs> a content machine, becomes content king Billy McFarland. Uh, then there is an interesting part where like he's starting to realize that he's in some shit. There's the investigation going on from the feds, and he uh and he asks his friend who served some time. He's like he's like what's jail like? He's like it's bad, dude. Twenty three one first day. Billy McFarland's <laughs> like what does that mean? He's like first day you're in jail, you're in your cell for twenty three hours, out for one. Billy McFarland follows it up with an all time cold take. Well, I'm not going to jail. Well, uh, the investigation comes through, and that's pretty much it for Billy McFarland. He gets hit on. Uh, yeah, six years in federal prison. Billy. Um, all time, so he's talking on the Hulu doc. He's talking, like, he's 
in the Hulu doc, he's not in the Netflix doc. So in the Hulu doc, he's like um being interviewed, like he's being interviewed, and he's like so, and the guy asking the questions is like, oh, so like, um, how is everything that you've said to me a lie, or have you lied about anything today? And then he's like, no, and then he's like, so. What like I can pinpoint like things back, and he's just like, I need a ten minute break. Right. So let's <laughs> let's go into. So we watched both the Netflix and Hulu docs, and the number one thing as Charlie was explaining there was Billy McFarlane. They get him in the Hulu doc. He like recommended to do it, and in the Netflix doc they don't have him. So let's go into some of the differences between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Netflix doc is definitely more tough on. Uh, I definitely tougher on Billy because he's not in it. And a lot in the Hulu doc, like, Billy's just doing, like, damage control for himself. Like, he's just, like, kind of defending himself. Like, saying, like, like yeah, like, we had good intentions at first. Like, we really wanted this to happen. Like, we were trying to, like, deliver to the fans. Like, no, you just want to make money, you idiot. Like, yeah. I, I think you could argue that the Hulu doc is even more damaging for Billy than him not being there in the Netflix one. You see him just be, like, full of shit completely and just, like, like spewing absolute lies. And I think that really, yeah. like... That shows even that's even more detrimental to his character. And the Netflix one, he's like this like weird figure throughout the whole thing. In the Hulu one, he's like intimately involved with the viewer, and he's just like he's just spewing shit the whole time. So the yeah. thing that the Hulu doc does is different is they give you more of a backstory on who he is. Like they go over like how he was trying to make him seem like he was some schemer in fifth grade, like making people pay for him to fix their crayons. Like there's just this whole backstory that was just weird. And then they finally get to the good part that Charlie was talking about, where like. They basically are, like, ripping into him, and he asks for, like, a 10-minute break, and they keep it on camera, which is, like, I think the best part of the doc, because you see him, like, get all flustered. They, they, this one part that we uh, gloss over is he says that he had all the villas, and they're like, you had them stay in tents. What are you talking about? He says that he bought $2 million worth of villas and keys, just lost the box of keys, and that was it. <laughs> like, he says he just lost the box of keys. How do you lose a box of keys? All the time, like... there, yeah. You get one key for every villain, you lose all of them. Yeah. And then, and then the Hulu docket shows that, like, Billy McFarlane, like, was on his, like, path to do Firefest in 2018. Like, that's just, that's unbelievable. After you <laughs> fell so miserably, you're just going to want to do it again in 2018. Like, that's crazy. Um, so so we've been talking a lot about about Billy throughout this whole conversation. I think we need to touch a little bit more on uh on his uh business partner, uh Ja Rule. Um so how he like kind of seemed to be off clean like at the at the beginning and like w- talked like well, he was he threw Billy um, under the bus. Yeah, yeah, he threw Billy under the bus and then and then he goes on to like that show, I forgot what it's called, and he's like and he's like drinking or whatever, and then he's like, Yeah, no, the whole the whole thing was my idea. Like <laughs> Like, he's yeah, like, we, we never committed fraud. We misled people. Yeah, oh, it's not yeah, fraud. It's false, false advertising. advertising. <laughs> false advertising. Yeah, the show is like, you get there, you get fucked up, and you, like, reveal a bunch of shit. A great concept for a show. And, yeah, Ja Rule just, like, takes full responsibility for it after dodging it and court and everything. It was hilarious. The classic example of, like, of, like, musician, like, rapper, like, trying to, like, just do something they're just not cut out for, like, being, like, a media business mogul. Like, your Ja Rule, like, like your job rule, like you're not like a crank out some hits. You, you crank out hits. You don't like do like massive like planning that requires like think a think tank to to get done and like all this all this stuff is go right. Like your job rule, like you just make fucking rap, all right? Like you're not you're not even you're not like a business mogul. Like he like and like if you seen the interviews where he like tries to act like he's like the new Mark Zuckerberg, he's like he's like he like uses all these like random buzzwords and like he just like it, it's just like so annoying to try and see this like 
to view this like monumental like just like dumpster fire of a of a, of a music festival. Yeah, it's like we, we see him as like a piece of shit who's lazy and like he actually he's dumb. Has like he's dumb. It's crazy. Like he so has, was just stupid. He's just a buffoon. Yeah, he had a lot of people telling him that uh, he was pretty smart though, and uh, that led to some terrible decisions. He just had he just had people that were like sucking him off the whole time because he's Ja Rule, like famous rapper. Like like dude, like leave it to like people who know what they're they're doing. Like they had way too much control. Like they didn't like kind of like pass out responsibility a lot. It was really like Billy, Ja Rule, and like his other dude just like planning the whole thing by themselves. Like they brought no experts, no one to like plan anything. Like it's hard. It's, it like, seems stupid. it seems absurd to me. The only help they brought in was fuck Jerry, who helped yeah. on the marketing side. Why not bring like, like it seemed like if anyone would know how to market, it'd be like the like a celebrity, and then Billy McFarlane who built Magnesis. They they would or be like the ones that would know how to market. Agency. You work in you live in New York City, Billy, the business capital of the world. Go to a marketing agency and get it done the right way. I think the marketing was actually done pretty well. It's just that uh, it's just that the, they didn't have anything to back it up. Yeah, they had the yeah, marketing. Yard's tile idea was like a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah that was up smart. a ton of interest, and that was displayed properly in the documentary. But they just had nothing to follow it up with. Uh, and like speaking to how like like underqualified they were to handle this, like anytime Billy got stressed out on the island, anytime Billy got stressed out on the island, he would just like <laughs> hop on the ATV and gun it, like yeah. hit a straight line as far as he can, and then come back around and he's like fine. That's a really like, that's how he's like venting, just really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, they're like in the middle of like so much shit, and he just like leaves the room, like guns it straight, and then just comes back the other way. <laughs> so funny. So overall, which doc did you guys like better? Netflix. It, it I think Netflix because like yeah. Billy Billy detracts from the documentary. He like detracts from it being in the Hulu one. He just detracts from it. Like it makes it more. The only reason I'm gonna pick the Netflix one just for the iconic moment, just, just for the I was fully prepared to go suck stick. Yeah, <laughs> and that guy's meme. That yeah. guy's meme. That's an all time meme. It's like how bad do you would you like what would you do to do this? Is the picture of that guy's face? <laughs> but I mean, I I think I I like the Hulu one a bit more just because I liked hearing from Billy, Billy, and then we get to see like it kind of exposes Billy even more, even though like it didn't need it didn't really need to happen. Like we already knew that he was kind of like a fraud and whatever. But it was still I still liked that they had Billy in the documentary. I thought that that was interesting, so I kind of liked it better for that. I um I for me personally I'm gonna go with the Netflix one. I saw both in one sitting and I saw Netflix first, so I was definitely a little drawn out with like the same story back to back. But I just think the Netflix one stuck to more like concrete. Like it didn't get into much of Billy's backstory, which I thought was more boring. Like the the anecdotes from like fifth grade, I didn't need to hear that. And I just thought like it did a good job portraying how fucked up it was. It showed like the moldy wet mattresses, and I thought like having not a great background on this like i'd never seen it before obviously like i thought it was really only good. person in the world <laughs> to not watch fire first yeah i just saw it for the first when time. did it come yeah. out like early in 2019 yeah last year what i was going to say is i think in the netflix one it does get bogged down at points of just showing like too much shit they fucked up it's like over and over again like oh we weren't prepared for this 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 in the hulu one it's like billy has this wrong with them and that's why we weren't prepared and I think at points that's more interesting. I think in Netflix it's, it is kind of like competitive at points. They just keep like screwing up over and over again. They just keep showing it, and that is kind of that is like uh, a little bit repetitive. Like that's why like if it didn't have that moment, I wouldn't pick it over the Hulu one. Yeah, that moment is moment. just all time moment. Right, so are we gonna recommend both of these? We're gonna recommend both of them. Definitely. Yeah, I would both. recommend both. 
docs. We definitely didn't like give you much information, so you'll be able to watch them and like like learn as you go along. I feel like. Yeah, if somehow you haven't seen this yet, uh, we said you've check been it living out. under a fucking rock. Yeah, watch it. Um, before we end, we have some huge things planned for next week. We'll get into massive things. So, yeah. I mean, we we have we have the say it ain't so fast coming up in two days. Yeah, so, so we have that yeah. coming up. That two days from now. Huge. Two days from now. Yeah, yeah, two days from right now. Um. So we have we have our first we have our huge guest, my idol. Old takes exposed, freezing. Your cold. internet dad. My internet dad, he really is. So we have him on. We're gonna talk a ton about just what made him start. It's gonna be a fascinating interview. And then we have Say It Ain't So Mock Draft 1.0 on Friday. You won't want to miss that. So all five of us will like we'll go around Robin. We'll go each like we'll do a mock draft. We'll start at pick one, just to clarify, not at pick three. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I, it kind of makes sense to start at pick three, but so we're gonna start. We're gonna start a mock draft. Is that okay? All right, thanks Thanks for checking it out, guys. God bless America. All right, Loft's out of there. Uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much. You're welcome. God bless America, as Cap said, as he always Peace. says. Peace. 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 We, we have... We have- Yeah, watch me rip this shit. You changed my words. God, remember that! Chelsea just went off the deep end, bro. Are we still recording? Yeah. Let's go.